Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will look at chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. This chapter began with a brief description of a potential crisis that threatened the church. Now I'd like to begin today's lesson by reading from Dr. Ironside's commentary on Acts, as I think his insight is very helpful. He writes, In this chapter, we see brought out very vividly Satan's two master methods by which, throughout the centuries, he has endeavored to hinder the progress of the work of God. In the first half of the chapter, we see him endeavoring to hinder by inward dissension, in the other half, by outward persecution. Here we have Satan in the first four verses trying to disturb the inward peace of the church. God had accomplished a wonderful thing. He had wrought on day after day and week after week ever since Pentecost, adding to the church daily such as should be saved. 3,000 definitely stepped out from among the multitudes who rejected Christ on the day of Pentecost. Another 2,000 were added shortly after. Then, in chapter 5, we learned that a great many believers were added to the Lord, and it looked as though Christianity was, in, was to sweep everything before it. Satan sees that he must busy himself if he is to hinder this work. He finds access to the hearts, even of God's own dear children, and starts a spirit of murmuring and evil speaking inside. This dissension that Dr. Ironside mentions was effectively handled and peace and order was restored to the body of Christ. Part of that process was to set apart seven men who were men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. One of the seven men was a man by the name of Stephen. It is his story that we will begin to look at today. Let us read his account. In order to get the full context of our passage today, I will begin reading from chapter 6, verse 2, through verse 15. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Par Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch whom they set over the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Syrians, Alexandrians, and 
those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And they secretly induced men to say, Hmm, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Stephen had been faithful in humble service to the Lord. He was faithful before his life was consecrated as deacon in the church. He was faithful in the ministry of serving the widows with meals. And God blessed him so much that he's now described as a man full of faith and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. In other words, his ministry was marked with the same evidentiary power as that of the apostles. And actually, he was the first one who was not an apostle that was empowered to do miracles, or at least that we know of. Once again, let me stress that it is not so much what you do in your service to Jesus as how you do what God has called you to do whether it be a speaking ministry or a service ministry, whether it be a very visual ministry or a quiet hidden ministry, one that is performed in the background where no one sees. Let me assure you, God sees and knows, and he will reward your faithful service to him on that day at the end of the ages. In our passage today, we find Stephen distributing meals to the widows on the inside of the church. And when he left the ministry of the fellowship of the church, he was found preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the temple and wherever he could. His life was wholly devoted to making disciples and serving God's people. As verse 7 states, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Once again, we find that when the God is blessing the ministry and the church is growing, opposition arises in order to frustrate the mighty work of God. However, as you know, God cannot be defeated. This we will learn in the forthcoming chapters of the book of Acts. However, our text for today tells us that there were many people who rose up to dispute Stephen's teaching. But, as we had read earlier, the Holy Spirit had given to Stephen great wisdom and power. 
And in their arguments, these men found that they, they could not compete with Stephen. So, once again, we read that they decided to try to find people who were willing to lie about the things Stephen was saying. Verse 11 says that they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. Lies and more lies. This happened at Jesus' trials. This happened at Peter and John's trial following the healing of the lame man. This happened when the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin in order to silence them. And now, once again, we see this ugly plan of action rising up again. Only this time, the conspiracy will grow to a moment of crisis. And as we will learn in the coming lessons, God is working all things together for good. When these things begin to happen, it is the time that we must trust God more. I'm reminded of the perspective that scripture provides. We remember Joseph back in Genesis. Here is a man who had suffered greatly he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And in the course of time, a lie was spoken against him, which led to him being thrown into prison for a crime that he did not commit. Through it all, he held fast to his faith in God and actually was a witness of his God to this idolatrous nation. After 13 years, he was miraculously released from prison and was actually raised up to be the number two man in all of Egypt. After many years, he was reunited with his brothers, and by this time, they were completely remorseful. They knew that they had sinned greatly against Joseph. After another 13 years, Joseph's father, Jacob, died. It was at this time that Joseph's brothers were terrified that Joseph would seek revenge. And so they pleaded for forgiveness. And I love how Joseph chose to respond to them. His response not only reveals his total faith in God, but it also sees the bigger picture of what God is doing in the lives of the people that he loves. Listen to what he said to his brothers. Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. There are so many examples of this principle throughout Scripture. In this and in Stephen's story, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome 
He encouraged that persecuted church with these words from Romans 8. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Stephen had learned to trust God completely. And so he continued to stand firm in his debate and, and the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's read again what happened next. Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against his holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. So, let's see. The Bible says that these men secretly induced men to say that Stephen had been preaching and teaching against Moses and God. Now, I remember that the council, the Sanhedrin, and the San, remember, the Sanhedrin was ruled by the Sadducees. They were the ones who only accepted the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the books of Moses. That'd be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All other scripture, the Sadducees disregarded. To them, to speak against Moses was also an act of blasphemy. They exalted Moses so much in their thinking. And then the charge also included speaking against God, which was also blasphemy. So these lies were designed to stir up the anger of the council against Stephen, although there was no truth to the charge. There were other also other false charges that were leveled against him. They, they said that Stephen also spoke against, uh, to quote, this holy place in the law. Once again, this argument was designed to touch the most vulnerable part of their pride. That, additionally, they charged him with saying that Jesus of Nazareth would destroy the temple and change the customs that Moses had given them. I find this very interesting that they would bring up Jesus 
This was the same charge that they had used against Jesus at his trial before his crucifixion. But the quote from Jesus was incomplete and out of context. So let's take a moment to briefly look at Jesus's trial from Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at least two false witnesses came forward and said, huh, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Isn't it stunning to see the very same tactic and argument? Here with Stephen as what was done to, to Jesus at his trial. The truth is, they were, in both instances, they were completely misquoting what Jesus had said earlier in his ministry. Listen to what Jesus actually said. This is recorded in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show up to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So, to accuse Stephen of teaching that Jesus would destroy the temple, the physical temple, and customs of Moses, it was an old argument that had no merit whatsoever. I love how Dr. Ironside chooses to describe that scene. He writes this, We are told of Stephen that all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. I wish I could have a photograph or a picture of that. 
Stephen standing before the council, listening to all those false accusations, and noticing the expression of rage, ridicule, and indignation. Yet, he stood there, looking upon them with a benign countenance, full of love and trust and peace and confidence, undisturbed by all the bitter things that were being said, his heart not moved to malice because of their hatred toward him, but happy in the consciousness that he was there as Christ's faithful servant. In Stephen, we have a good example of how to stand in the day of adversity. We stand in the strength of the Lord, in the truth of his word, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of the command that is written in Ephesians 6, which says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. As this passage in Ephesians says, we stand in the power of his might. But be sure that when you stand, you stand with a right attitude, entrusting yourself to the God who has promised to save you. Therefore, as the scripture teaches in Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In Luke 21, Jesus was teaching his disciples about things yet to come, both in their immediate future and also in the latter days before the return of Jesus. In this teaching, Jesus makes a promise to all those who will suffer the lies, abuses, and persecutions that come to all who follow Jesus. Listen to his promise. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation 
and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Endurance, faithfulness, trusting God through it all. This is what our God and our Savior calls us to. I recently ran across a quote from Thomas Jefferson that I think applies to our lesson today. And this is what he wrote. If your cause is right, be not afraid of criticism. Advocate it, expound it, and if need be, fight for it. Critics always will be, but to the strong-minded, they are a help rather than a hindrance. As the horse spurts forward when prodded with a spur, so the doers forge ahead under the lash of criticism. Take your part on life's stage and play your part to the end. Stand for that which is good. Be a doer, not a drone. Look the world in the face and let the critics criticize. I think that this is very sound advice. We know that our cause is right because our cause is the same one that Jesus had. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give myself a ransom for many. Jesus has called us to be his witnesses, to make disciples, to serve those he died to save, to take up our cross daily and follow him. Do not shrink back. Your cause is just. Your cause is holy. Let me close with these words from Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Scripture says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
Heavenly Father, we see in Stephen an example of faith in action. He trusted you and he was faithful in service to you. He was faithful in, uh, within the body of Christ where he was loved and received. He was faithful wherever he went to teach and to preach and to share the wonderful message of Jesus who lived and died and rose from the grave to save men from sin and to give to them eternal life through, through the shedding of his blood. And he was faithful, O Lord, on the day when he faced opposition. He stood upon your promises, O God. He proclaimed your word and he entrusted his very life into your hands. Father, we want to be just as faithful in our life, just as faithful in our testimony, just as faithful in our service. So I pray, O oh God, that you will strengthen us, that you will continue to increase our faith, that you will continue to refresh us with the power of your Holy Spirit, and that we would stand in the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength, even as your word says. So I pray for my dear friends and I ask, O oh God, that your mercy would rest upon them and that your power would be with them and they would be faithful to your service for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, until next time, may you continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may God bless you richly, my friend.